and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. Well, did everybody have snow last weekend? Were you battling with frozen water troughs and wondering how to exercise horses with everything under a thick white blanket? It's not great for horse people, snow in general, but at least it sort of gives us something different to look at, I suppose, when we're all stuck at home in lockdown and we're all looking at the same views all the time. I did go out running in the snow and it was quite nice just to see the world looking a little bit different. Our guest today on our podcast is Amy Phillips, groom to badminton winner Piggy March. Amy will be talking to us about how she got into the industry, the daily routine at Piggy's Yard and the ups and downs of her job. It's definitely a job you have to do because you love it and it's a lifestyle as well rather than just a job. You know, we're there for the horses all the time. I'll also be joined by our news team to talk about Brexit, business interruption insurance and eventing ownership models. Finally, Jason Webb, a trainer who specialises in starting young horses and retraining those with problems, will be giving advice on dealing with spooky horses. Probably the most common problem that people have with their horses, for a very good reason, is a survival instinct that has served horses well for millennia. More from Jason later. That's enough from me. Pull down your stirrups and let's get going. Our podcast guest this week is linked to our groom special in the magazine, and I'm therefore very pleased to have with me Amy Phillips, who was our NAF Five Star Groom of the Year at the Horse and Hound Awards in partnership with NAF in 2019. Amy is travelling head girl to the 2019 badminton winner, Piggy March. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast, Amy. Hi, thank you for having me. It's great to have you with us today. Now, Amy, let's start by talking about how you came to work for Piggy. Did you have a horsey childhood? Did you grow up with horses? Well, my family aren't horsey, but I was always mad about them as a kid. And um, I actually got given a riding lesson for my fifth birthday, I think, of my grandparents. And it just went from there, really. And did you continue to sort of ride at riding schools? Did you get your own horse or pony? How did you sort of progress from there? I didn't get my own pony until I was about 15. um, And I still actually have him now at home. And um, so, yeah, basically just riding schools. And um, I did pony club on like loan ponies um I used to work at the riding schools to have a pony on loan um and just got to ride lots of different ones which was actually almost better than having just one of your own I guess <laughs> yeah it's a different experience isn't it and probably one yeah. that stands you in good stead now and when did you start to think that sort of horses might be your career rather than just a hobby well I think when I was younger I always was just like what I want to do is ponies um, but my mum really wanted me to go to university and try and get a proper job and keep it as a hobby but that didn't really work out and I just ended up I don't really know how I ended up doing them full-time but um, I think I kind of did college and would do work with the horses on the weekends and things and then when I left college I just worked full-time so I, I actually worked at Pizza Hut Um, part-time and then the rest of the time I was doing the horses on the side so it just went from there I think. And how did you sort of come to to work in eventing how did how did that come about? I used to work in racing and I was always interested in eventing used to go to badminton and things like that um, when I was younger and I really liked the idea of doing the traveling with eventing so getting to go to lots of different places in Europe and to the stayaways and things like that um so basically I just 
once I'd worked in racing for about four years, I decided to look for a job in eventing instead, just do something a bit different. And um, I actually went to work for Oliver Townend in 2016. And um, I did a couple of seasons for him. And then I went to Piggies after that. And how did you get the job at Piggies? Was it advertised or was it sort of a word of mouth thing? Um, it was through word of mouth. Um, Piggy knows one of my good friends who I used to work with at Oliver's. And once I'd left left there and was looking for um, somewhere else to go, she put my name forward and I gave Pig a ring. And then I just came for an interview and started at the very beginning of 2018. And when you went for your interview, what sort of format did that take? Was it sort of question and answer, like a sort of desk interview, or did you ride, or what? What? How did how how did Piggy decide if you were the right person for the job? Um, it was very laid back. Um, I actually just went for a cup of tea in her house, <laughs> um, and just went for a walk around the yard and things, and met some of the horses. And um, she just said about what she was kind of looking for. I mean, she knew that I had experience because I'd been to a lot of the big events and things with Oliver's and I'd done lots of different jobs before that as well so um and we just got on I guess so I just came and we just thought we'd just see how it went and then it was and it was cool so we just carried on great tell us a little bit about the team that you work with at Piggies how many of there are you on the yard and how's that team sort of structured so at the moment there's five of us not including Pig so we have Mark, who is a rider. So he's got a couple of horses here. Um, he's kind of based here. Um, so him and Pig do most of the riding. And then we've got Del, who's um, actually quite new here. She started at the very beginning of December, but she's hopefully going to take on more of a yard manager kind of role, which is brilliant because she's on the ground then for when we're at events and things like that. And we have Sam and Chloe. So me, Sam and Chloe are mostly on the yard and um we do most of the groundwork and we all kind of share the lunging and um, I sometimes do a few rides but not very often once we get busy and um, it just works quite well and we've also got Gracie who's actually living in New Zealand and she comes over at the uh, middle of February I think to join us again and she was here last season so she slots in kind of as a second rider to help get through the hacking and things like that. Okay, so you don't actually do a lot of riding. Your your role is more sort of sort of dismounted with the horses. Is that how you yeah. like it? Or um, yeah, I do. Um, I quite like making sure everything runs smoothly on the yard, and I like looking at the horses on the ground and being the one to tack them up and untack them and make sure they're done off properly and things like that. Um, I do the odd bit of riding when we we're doing a lot of hacking and road work when the horses first come back back in. Um, but normally once we get a bit busier it's easier for me to stay on the ground and um, just kind of oversee things I guess. It's interesting and do you <laughs> what's your no it's just really interesting to hear how different yards work because you're totally right that I worked on a yard um, quite a long time ago now but in my gap here between school and university and um, I know that sometimes we'd have a day where um, as you say there'd be some people riding and some people tack up wash off tack up wash off and sometimes that's almost more efficient than having two people riding you can almost yeah. uh, get more horses done that way. Yeah definitely we have yeah we would have all the lots ready for Pig and Mark to come back and get straight on and then we would do their horses off and tack up the next kind of pair and we work like that and we can normally finish in quite good time as well we're normally done by at least two o'clock in the afternoon kind of thing what's your sort of daily routine what time do you start and, and what time does the riding start um so I'm normally on the yard about quarter to seven and we just feed and 
get the yard done, muck out, and we normally put um, a load on the walker as well. And Pig would normally come out about eight o'clock um, just to give us time to get the yard done. And she would, she writes a list and normally just goes through with me what she's planning on doing for the day. And then we just start riding. We sometimes have a little breakfast break or something like that, but we normally try and just keep going. Um, and depending on what they're doing, it can either go quite quickly if we've got a few that are, it's normally easy if it's kind of split up and there's a few working, a few lunging, a few hacking kind of thing. And we get the jobs done in between um, the lots and then we try and finish early to mid-afternoon and we go in and have some lunch and let the horses have a bit of quiet time in their stables after they've had some lunchtime hay. And then we normally come back out about four o'clock in the afternoon and we skip out again and hay and water when there might be some more to go on the walker or in the summer we have a lot that live out so we swap them around and bring the ones in that are out in the day or um, turn out the ones that live at night and then we feed about five o'clock and then we're done and we go out and do lates as well at about nine o'clock at night and just give them a bit more hay and check they're warm enough and things like that. Mm, it sounds very calm and well organized and uh, I'm sure you're a big part of that. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and when does Piggy decide sort of what she's going to do with the horses? Is that something that happens in the morning or does it happen the night before? Or is there a whole week plan? How does that pan out? I think she thinks about it the night before and has a rough idea in her head. And then she comes out when she comes out in the morning, we have a diary um, with all the horses in and she will write down what they're doing that day and whether they're being paired up with certain ones or um, we try and plan a few days in advance if we're going to have days when we're going cross-country schooling or um, things like that and we know well in advance if we've got say some an instructor coming to give lessons or something like that um, so it's normally just kind of day to day with a rough overview I would say for the week. Hmm. Okay. And do you each look after specific horses that you're particularly aligned to, or is it very much sort of every, every everyone does every horse? Um, everyone does every horse. I definitely have favourites, unfortunately. So I'm very fussy about um, Veneer Kamira and Brookfield Innocent, especially. Um, they're my favourites, so I like to do them. Um, so I would always muck out Brookfield Innocent. And I used to muck out for near Camira all the time, but this year they're stabled at opposite ends of the barn, so it doesn't really work. <laughs> um, but yeah, mostly everyone just kind of does everything. There would be certain ones that only, say, Pig would ride, and sometimes Pig's sister, so Veneer Camira would be one of those that only Piggy would ride, or her sister Nini if we were away. But mostly it's everyone does everyone we've, they're all very well behaved actually all of our horses which is handy so we don't have to be worried about certain people handling certain ones or anything like that it's they're all quite easy to do so it's all quite straightforward really give us some insight into the ones who are your favorites tell us a bit about Brookfield <laughs> Innocent and, and sort of what sort of character he is and why is he your favorite um he he's very special um he's very talented He's actually very easy to do as well, which is nice. Um, he's a bit, he's quite grouchy around other horses. Um, so he's quite funny. If you're trying to tie his hay up, he thinks his next door neighbor's going to get it, even though we've got breeze block stables, so they can't see through or anything. Um, but he's, he's just really cool. He's very, um, he's quite laid back on the floor. He's a spooky little toad when 
pigs is riding him but uh, he's got a lovely eye and um he's gorgeous to look at as well um and Vanir Kamira is almost the opposite actually she's a bit of a pain but I love her because she's so gutsy and she's she rules the roost there is no one higher than her she knows she is the queen um of the yard and she's horrible to all the other horses as well spends <laughs> <laughs> her whole time pulling faces at everyone and she's always got this horrible snaky face if she's in the cross ties but I love her and she always tries and she's just so cool so they are definitely my favorites um, well, they're definitely top of the tree. Yeah, they are the top of the tree, aren't they? Obviously, Vanir yeah. Kamira being the horse who won badminton and Brookford Innocent was second at Poe last year. So two super top five-star horses there. And it's so interesting to hear that they're such different characters. I know yeah. Piggy, Piggy has also been quite open that Vanir Kamira is really quite a painful horse to look after most days of the year, but she makes up for it at the big events. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and talking of big events, when Piggy goes to events, is your role specifically to be sort of the person who travels with her do you go to most of the events or all the events um I would go to 99% of all the events I normally only miss um so I missed a couple of one days when I was away at Kentucky and I think when we went to WEG as well and I think that's about the only ones that I missed um that was just because I wasn't here so um <laughs> yeah basically all every single event I would go to with pig and um, talking of traveling to events and, and WEG, what's it like to go to a championship? How many championships have you been to with Peggy? Um, two. I went to, WEG was my first championships. And then I went to the Europeans at Le Moulin in 2019, yeah. um, both with Corey Crest Echo. It was mad, actually. The whole run up to WEG was crazy because of there's so much talent on the British team. It's You don't ever know who's going to quite get selected. Um, and it was such a fun bunch of people who went out there because they have got so much experience going to olympics and things like that that you could just ask them anything about anything and they're happy to help you out and things and it was all quite dramatic as well with the hurricane so that threw everything off a bit but and to come home with um a gold medal was just the icing on the cake really so it wasn't a bad way to start a championship career <laughs> no definitely did you fly out with the horses I know not grooms don't always get to fly with their horses but did you fly with the horses or separately um, no we flew separately um so Liz Brown the team GB vet flew out with the horses and then um Marcel and Rach flew out at the same time and they did the quarantining for the first I think it was two or three days um and then myself Lucy Seddon and Sarah Charnley who are Tommy McEwen and Ros Cantor's grooms we all flew out a couple of days later um and we met the we got there the day before the horses came out of quarantine so we helped get the stables ready and things like that to to get them once they were all done quarantining great so yeah and Marcel Tattersall presumably you were just referencing who did fly with the horses was was is Gemma Tattersall's mum and was grooming for Gemma and Rachel yeah. Tolly is Tina's groom isn't she yeah yeah sorry yeah she's Tina's groom um, no, that's great. Just interesting to hear, you know, about that sort of team of grooms working together at a championship and sort of taking different roles with flying with the horses and, and getting the stables ready for them and, and so on. Um, what would you say is your favourite part of your job, Amy? I love going to the three days. That's definitely my favourite part. When you drive the lorries into the big venues, you always get kind of butterflies and excitement. And it's always so exciting just even to like see your friends and to go to all these amazing places and to do well at them as well is always just a bonus and 
yeah that's definitely my favorite going to the going to the big three days and do you have a least favorite part of your job the early mornings <laughs> <laughs> are you good definitely. in the morning <laughs> um I'm I'm okay actually um at the very beginning of the season I'm always up straight away because you're just excited to get going again and then if it's snowing outside and you're going somewhere in the middle of March and it's freezing cold, you're not quite so keen then. But um, <laughs> Do you um, live on site? So for your quarter to seven start, what time do you have to get up? I think my alarm goes off at quarter past six. And that's, I mean, I snooze it a few times. It only takes about 15 <laughs> minutes to get out onto the yard, I think. So <laughs> I'm no, about 20 metres away from the barn. <laughs> Okay, that's still quite an early morning, and uh, yeah. that's what five, six days a week. And then, do you have a day off each week? Yeah, yeah, we have um, work six days a week, um, have one day off a week, and then kind of work it around when we're eventing and things like that. Yeah, sure. And in the time that you've been working in the industry, Amy, have you seen sort of changes in recognition for grooms and and sort of working conditions and so on? I think it's definitely. Um, a thing that's being more highlighted now um, in other industries as well. So in racing and things, they seem to be making a lot more effort almost to include the grooms, even on the TV and things like that. I think it's very cool with all the grooms prizes and things they do now just to have like recognition just for the work. If a horse wins and things like that, I think it's nice for because we all work very hard and everyone. It's definitely a job you have to do because you love it and it's a lifestyle as well rather than just a job so yeah I think it's definitely being highlighted more and everyone seems to be making a real effort to show that you know we're there for the horses all the time so it's not it's all about teamwork and it's not just the riders that make it happen Mm. And there's a lot of skill in your job and sort of working with people and obviously the skill you bring to looking after the horses. It's not just about um, about, you know, mucking out a lot, is it? You have to, you know, have yeah. a good relationship with your rider yeah. and, and know what they need as well at the big events, as well as the horses. Yeah, definitely. Um, it definitely makes things run smoother if you know you have to almost be a step ahead of them all the time and, and kind of know what they like and how they like everything from feeding to tacking up to to even just like routines leading up to the big ones and things. And sometimes on cross-country days, um, you kind of need to know what to have in your backpack at the start or their kind of routine. Some of them, I don't know, if they get nervous, might want to just be left alone or get them a cup of tea or something. But you kind of look after your rider a bit and look after your horses. So, What does, uh, what, what does Piggy like at the big events? How do you, what's your favourite tip for looking after Piggy? Um, she always wants sweeties at the cross-country start (laughs) Um, kind of hard-boiled sweets and lip balm so I've always got tissues lip balm and hard-boiled sweets in my backpack when I'm (laughs) (laughs) excellent and do you have sort of any advice for anybody who is looking to follow a similar career path what would you uh, what would you say to someone who uh, maybe was sort of a 14 15 year old who thought they wanted to be a top competition groom I think definitely put the work in people will always I think hire someone who's got a bit of experience and is wants to graft you have to kind of you know put the hours in as well as just thinking you're going to ride and things like that and just make sure you love horses because there's absolutely no point doing it unless you unless you love them because it's it's very hard work and it's not very forgiving in the winter and things like that so you have to do it for for that reason I think. 
Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for joining us today, Amy. It's so interesting to hear from you. And um, hopefully we can continue to uh, speak to a few grooms through the year on the Horse and Hound podcast. I know we've got some segments coming up with Alan Davies in a couple of weeks time. And it's cool. great to, uh, to, to have some grooms on board and, and to get your advice and your insight. Cool. Thank you very much for having me. So I'm delighted to be joined today by all three members of our news team. First of all, our news editor, Eleanor Jones. Hello, Eleanor. How's it going? Morning. Yeah, all good. Thank you. Had a bit of an escaped pony this morning. I've no idea how she did it. Uh, The electric fence is all still up and the pony was the other side of it. And I would like to think maybe she jumped it, but she's sort of in her late 20s and 11 hands. So, um, well, she has. It's quite impressive. (laughs) I think she knelt down and went underneath it. (laughs) I think she must have done (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm imagining her like on her tummy, like doing like some kind of like tummy crawl underneath the fence. I think you should check out her belly for extra mud. <laughs> uh, Lucy Elder, our senior news writer, is also with us. How are you, Lucy? I'm fine. Thank you, Pippa. I'm dealing with a huge amount of snow at the moment. Um, five, six inches here where I am. And oh, wow. It's, and it's still hanging about. It's still quite cold out there. So it was very, very pretty the other morning. But um I quite like it to go now. <laughs> yeah, gosh, that is quite a lot. We haven't got nearly that much uh, where I am, but um, although we did have a bit of a bit of a smattering, so to speak. And we've also got with us Becky Murray, our news writer. How are you, Becky? How are things in Scotland? Good. No escaping ponies on my part this week, um, but I do have very excitable mares who haven't been able to do an awful lot for the ice. So, um, yes, they're a little bit wired at the moment. So hopefully I get to do something with them soon, I hope. <laughs> well, I am proud to say I have finished my horse jigsaw. I, uh, I said I'd give you an update. I even put a picture of it on my Instagram. So uh, podcast listeners, this is your jigsaw update. I have completed the jigsaw. You'll be pleased to hear. So it's going to be on to the next one soon but sadly that's my last pony jigsaw the next one has got a map of the world which I bought for my husband for Christmas because I felt like I needed the education so (laughs) that's the next jigsaw project at my house right on to the serious news Lucy we're going to talk about the third part of your Brexit trilogy as we've been calling it which is in this week's magazine (laughs) Uh, it's about importing and exporting horses both in terms of buying and selling and temporarily such as for competition so let's talk buying and selling first what changes are people finding there post-Brexit? So, I mean, as Thoroughbred Breeders Association Chief Executive Claire Shepherd said in the organisation's latest Brexit webinar, um, the conclusion of the free trade agreement doesn't mean that everything carries on as it be- did before. And to be honest, far from it, as the UK's relationship with countries in the EU and the Republic of Ireland has fundamentally changed. So along with that, as we're all trying to get our heads around in the industry, what exactly those changes mean, we do know that there are new import VAT requirements um, and which add quite a significant percentage to to the cost of horses if you're buying from abroad. Likewise, if you're selling outside the UK, then those countries you're selling to, you might find yourself, buyer might find themselves facing um, VAT charges and associated costs as well. So, so far, we believe that it's going to impact on, on buying and selling horses. Mm, and potentially quite a lot of extra costs there on top of your sort of purchase price and your normal shipping costs as such. Do we think there's any hope of that improving over time or does it seem like we're really stuck with this situation? I mean, the situation is constantly changing and we've 
kind of said that all along as people are getting to grips with it and also it it is very complicated VAT is a very complicated area anyway and so the amount of extra money people might find themselves with a bill for is going to depend on on their if they're buying for a business if they're a private buyer if they're a private seller if they are VAT registered if the business they're buying from is VAT registered there's quite a lot going in there so first point I'd say ask someone who really has a handle on tax and a customs customs agent shipping agent to to help you understand this because it is hugely complicated and everyone is just trying to work out what it means at the moment i mean there's hopes people are hopeful that it's going to become clearer at least if it's clearer people know where they stand if you if you if you understand what i mean so as as i said it's constantly changing and people are trying to work out the wherewithal of it all Okay. And if you are temporarily moving your horse between Britain and the EU, so you're going to a competition or something like that, there's a new sort of arrangement around a deposit or financial security. Can you tell us a little bit about about that and what that's all about? Absolutely. I mean, up until up until the end of this year, we've been very lucky in the horse industry in that we've been able to enjoy free, fairly free seamless movement of horses uh, between the UK, uh, Ireland and the EU. And those days, those days are over. If, if I'm being honest, right now. Um, so, in terms of of temporarily moving horses abroad, uh, the Thoroughbred Breeders Association's trustee and VAT expert Peter Mendham has said that it is, you know, the likelihood is you're going to be required to provide some form of security uh, for temporary movements. Now, exactly how that means, if that what that means, if that's going to involve actual, you know, cash money changing hands or have a cash flow impact on you uh, in terms of you're going to have to put a bond up for, you know, to say I'm good for this amount of money. It's that again is unclear if, or if you're going to be able to account for that on, on VAT returns or if your bank will provide that or if you're going to use the ATA Carnet system. Again, that is something that you really do need to talk to a customs or shipping agent about. Effectively, what what this means is that if you're temporarily, say you're going abroad for a competition, the taxman doesn't want to lose out is kind of what this is all about. So if you're temporarily moving your horse to, say, France or somewhere uh, to go and compete, he wants to be sure, the taxman here, wants to be sure that if you then sell that horse on, that he's not going to be missing out on that chunk of cash that should be going his way in taxes. So this is where this is where it gets complicated. And this is where people again the industry is trying to sort it out but it as we said before it is at the moment it seems the likelihood is that some form of security whether that's actual money moving or it's accounted for in another way is likely to be needed if you're moving your horses um, overseas from Britain at the moment. Mm, so it's almost like you're having to sort of prepay the tax in case you sell the horse even though you're not going to sell the horse and then you get it back is it sort of uh, am I putting it into very layman terms am I on the right lines Lucy? Uh, I think I think so it's the tax man there is insuring himself against against that so he always wins. Mm, okay well thank you Lucy we did say that was the uh, the third part of your Brexit trilogy but this might turn out to be one of those trilogies like the Hunger Games where the uh, the last part is, is actually two parts. Eleanor, that's your joke. I've stolen it, everybody. I'm fully admitting it. But, I hope uh, it's not too much like the Hunger Games. <laughs> <laughs> May the odds be ever in our favour. Oh, yeah. That's that's slightly evil and it's giving me, uh, making me feel a little bit creeped out. But yeah, I'm all I'm saying is that just because this is the third part of the trilogy, it doesn't mean it's over. I think we'll be having more Brexit in the future. But as Eleanor says, may the odds be ever in our favour. Right. 
And Becky, we're coming to you now and it's a COVID story. But for once, it is actually good news, unusually with COVID stories. This is something which is trickling down from the mainstream news into equestrianism. You may have seen it sort of on the BBC or other outlets in the past week or so. What's it all about, Becky? Well, this relates to business interruption insurance policies for small businesses. There's been a situation rumbling on since last May, basically when businesses have put in claims for business interruption owing to COVID, some insurers have said the businesses were not covered and they were not paying out on these claims. Now, the Financial Conduct Authority launched court proceedings to gain some clarity for businesses. And basically, they took a test um, case sampling lots of policy wordings from different insurers. And last week, this went to the Supreme Court. Now, the Supreme Court has ruled in favour of this test case. And this means, basically, that many claims will actually be paid out. Oh, okay. So that's, that is, as we say, good news. And it could be a positive for some equestrian businesses, but it won't apply to every company or every policy, will it? That's right. It will still very much come down to each individual policy. But certainly, this is a very significant ruling by the Supreme Court. Hmm. Good to hear that. And what is the advice now for businesses? If you were sort of running a business, you had business interruption insurance, and you think this ruling might apply to you, what should you do? Well, I spoke to the solicitor Hannah Bradley from from the equine law firm and she said now is very much the time to take action and speak to insurers, whether somebody believes they might have cover or if if their insurer has refused to pay out, now is the time to sort of get in touch with them and have those conversations. Okay, great. Thanks, Becky. Now, Eleanor, you have been working on a story this week, which is about horse ownership and eventing and some of the different models that are out there at the moment. I know Gemma Tattersall has recently launched a club for sort of the ownership or to help with the running costs of one of her top horses, Santiago Bay. What did Gemma tell you about this? Yeah, so Gemma's club uh, isn't an ownership uh, scheme. It's a it's a, it's a club. It's to help with the running costs for um, Kizzy. So it's called the Kizzy Club, and so members will pay you know X amount a month, and and they'll get updates and videos, and and hopefully once we can actually go out and do things, yard visits and um, free or discounted tickets. Um, and obviously this Santiago Bay is a five-star horse so she said she wanted to think out of the box um, to find a way that she could fund this horse's running costs and also um, people would get to be part of the journey. Mm, And she is as you say a real top horse she was in the top 10 at Burley two years ago and um, possibly a team horse for the future but Gemma isn't the only person doing this there are sort of some other opportunities out there along similar lines although all slightly different aren't there Eleanor? Yeah, so this new um, company, the Event Horse Owners Syndicate, has been set up and that was um, Megan Sanders and Jack Pryor who they had seen Megan events herself at a lower level and her mum owns a, a higher level eventer and, and Jack has, has seen the success of obviously syndicates are, are much more of a thing in racing and they sort of thought we'd like to do this but we'll never be able to uh, afford to own an eventer. How can we make this um, sort of accessible to more people? So they've got an actual syndicate with Laura Collin, this six-year-old horse camouflage who actually came from the same people as um, London 52. And that is an ownership thing. So you pay sort of a bit less money, but there will be a lot more people and you will be a part owner of that horse with similar benefits to to Mm. Gemma's scheme. 
Hmm, okay, interesting. So different things, different price points, slightly different benefits with each model and horses at different stages of their careers. It seems like an interesting one for people who, who want to get involved in ownership without having the sort of cost and liability of, of owning a horse as a sole owner as such. Yeah, and loads of different levels as well. So as we said, you know, Gemma's uh, is a five-star horse and then Ben Hobday is also through the Event Horse Owners Syndicate. There's also a, a slightly different, again, scheme with Ben Hobday's Shadow Man, who Ben hopes to step up to five-star level this year. And again, that's a different price, slightly different benefits. So there's all sorts of different levels of involvement available. Mm, great. Good to hear about that, Eleanor. Thank you very much. And thank you to Lucy and Becky for joining us today too. So now we're going over to Jason Webb, a trainer who specialises in starting young horses and retraining those with problems. Born in Australia, Jason is now based in Kent in southern England and his online training service at yourhorsemanship.com means owners around the world can learn and benefit from his techniques. Over to you, Jason. In this episode, we're going to look at the probably the most common problem that people have with their horses, which is spooking. Now, spooking is a common problem for a very good reason. It is a survival instinct that has served horses well for millennia. So my first thing to say about spooking is embrace it. A lot of people... Um, get on horses and spooking makes them really anxious so if that is the case then you need to go back to working on your balance first so with a spooking situation it's you that needs to start the process of overcoming that so your balance is really important I have a seat which I call the oh my gosh seat now the oh my gosh seat is um, it's very similar to a hunting seat. So you can imagine you're coming into a hedge. You don't know what's on the other side. You sit back and sit deep. And that is what the oh my gosh seat is. Now I've called it the oh my gosh seat because horses will often be riding along and you'll see the head come up and ears go forward. And you can just imagine what they're saying politely. Oh my gosh, what is that? So when your horse tells you that's what they're thinking, then it's a good idea first to get deep in your horse find um, a, a lower center of gravity which i teach people to to do that by asking them to sit back and much further than you think until you feel your core engage and sort of have to hold your body there then i asked a, a rider to breathe in through their nose and out through their mouth. As they do that, they, I want them to just relax and lower their, their, let their body weight just lower into the seat. It can sometimes, to the more correct rider, feel like sitting like a sack of potatoes, but in that, oh my gosh, position, you, your center of gravity is low. And also, when a horse spooks, they tend to jump sideways or spin. If you're back, and down you're behind any centrifugal forces that come with a horse spinning and therefore you're much more likely to stay balanced and therefore much more likely to be able to direct your horse past the object or 
or bring your horse back into line and carry on. And this needs to be done uh, at any time when your horse is in a flight state. I always go back to basics. So whether it be napping, you've got a horse that's anxious or any of those types of problems, it's always back to left rein means left, right rein means right. There is a tendency when your horse spooks to grab hold of both reins, which is, again, um, a human default to, to grab what's near. If you feel unbalanced, you grab what's near and you hold on. And unfortunately, when a horse spooks and you do this, you're holding on to their mouth, which makes the horse think that whatever they were running from, just grab them and put them in a, a claustrophobic state. And that's made that experience all the more um, worrying and therefore spooking will continue. So balance is key. Being able to direct is also very, very important. And then allowing your horse to travel forward. So as with a lot of problems, um, they're solved simply by keeping your eyes where you want to go. So if you feel your horse come into this state, what you must try to avoid is contraction. So pulling on your horse, contracting too much with your body, which can make your horse feel more claustrophobic. Um, and you can do that by picking a point past a spooky object and just riding towards it with all your focus. Now, you're probably not going to get a straight line, but that doesn't matter. If you can get past that point without creating more anxiety, then you're going to tend to reduce the level of um, spooky behavior in your horse. So that is the first thing. I know with spooking that um, a more educated horse uh, and a lot of people are told to go into shoulder in or bend your horse away from the object. Now, in my experience, I can't do that. So I'm riding young horses that they don't know how to shoulder in or travel forward with an inside bend. That would become confusing and actually add to the problem at hand. To use those techniques, which, by the way, are effective once a horse is educated and is moving through the body and understands that aid. Before then, you have to keep it simple and it is a matter of compromising and not adding to the problem. Um, it, is, it has to be said also that if your horse is super spooky, and let me tell you, there are some horses will always be spooky. And like I said at the beginning of this episode, it's important to embrace that and not add to it. Um, other horses, they might spook every now and again, but generally speaking, they're pretty straight. So you get varying levels with horses, but they will all do it. I think uh, with all horses, just in general, routine is great. If a horse understands um, its environment and understands what it's, what's being asked of, of the horse, then that has a sort of settling effect or a reducing effect. If you think of your horse as having a bank account of goodwill, so the more your horse understands you and the more your horse um, understands the environment it's in, the bank account is much, uh, you know, is full. 
so you've got more um, more of a balance to play with and therefore spooking is much further away however if there if those sort of things are compromised then your bank account starts to come down and if it gets into the red then you start to get more instances of spooking or other sort of flight behaviors so just general good training is is really important um, understanding your horse's environment and experience you know my dad used to say wet saddle blankets make good reliable horses and what he meant by that was you've got to ride your horse you've got to take your horses places to give them the experience to understand the world with humans so um, that's a sort of a, a quick fire look at spooking hope that's been helpful if you have any other problems or want to know more about this you can go to um, yourhorsemanship.com or or your horsemanship facebook and there's lots of uh, interesting articles videos and uh, webinars etc there to, to help you through that thank you jason We'll be back with Jason next week to talk about problems with loading horses. We'll also be speaking to Lisa Sargent, owner and rider of the Connemara Linsfort Ear to the Ground, former winner of the SEIB Search for a Star final. And of course, we'll be rounding up the week's news as normal. Thank you for joining us today and we'll be back next week. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.